What if we could reimagine the traditional notion of a high flyer? Hey friends, welcome back or welcome to the High Flyers podcast. For the curious ones, where we share diverse experiences in life, not just work, tune in and learn to fly high in your own way from value creators and problem solvers in all aspects of society. Learn about their sunrise, magic moments, hustle, and so much more to help us all be 1% better every day together. And I'm your host, Virit Agawal. But I think um, what I think I've been so privileged to get to have role model to me is that, um, you know, introversion and um, kindness and sensitivity, Lucy is so deeply sensitive and so deeply intuitive, have been role model to me as great strengths in the world and not weaknesses they're often stereotyped to be. So I think, um, you know, I've, I've had the benefit of growing up in a household and my dad and my um, step family as well have really um, fostered who Luz and I are and we've been encouraged to be more of who we really are as opposed to trying to fit um, in, you know, into, into the, the mould that we're often young people are taught to fit into. That's Rosie Thomas and this is episode 41. We can all probably relate to experiences of growing up, whether directly or indirectly, of bullying and acts that were unfair. Rosie and her sister Lucy saw this and decided not to just walk past it, but actually tackle it. Hear about Rosie's upbringing in the suburbs of Melbourne, being inspired by her family and being close with her older sister. We talk about how Rosie chose not to go to uni after high school and instead she started this social enterprise called Project Rocket back in 2006 when a movement led by young people was not often seen. Rosie talks about the expression of this journey often feeling like building a plane while flying at the same time. And I love Rosie's inspiration from the Dalai Lama being it's not enough to be compassionate, you must act. Rosie, hi, great to have you on the show. Hey, Vidit, thanks so much for having me. It's so exciting to have you on. I still remember when I came across your your name online, I was like, I have to have this person on the show. She's done some really cool <laughs> stuff and she's got a cool personality, so I'm glad we can make this happen. Oh, well, I'm glad I made the cool personality cut. <laughs> you did. Now, we generally I ask guests a different question, but I've decided I'm going to change it in this episode and, and following mm-hmm. episodes. Who, who do you consider a high flyer in your life? Perhaps someone who didn't get the recognition. Um, is there someone who comes to mind? Oh, that's such a good question. I feel like there's some real obvious choices that I could share with you, but I love that you said that doesn't that that don't get the recognition. Um, and I'm actually going to very unexpectedly choose my partner, um, Stella, who would be absolutely horrified that I'm mentioning her because she's just so um, so genuinely humble and deflects any attention whatsoever. But I, I reckon she's a phenomenal high flyer. Basically, she's a youth worker. She works um, in a school with an incredible bunch of young people who are basically, um, it's their last opportunity to engage in um, education. Um, I guess they're often classified as, and I'm doing air quotes here, at-risk youth and are so underestimated. And she, yeah, works with them to basically give them everything that they need to succeed in ways in which they yeah, might not have ever experienced before. And she's just so unbelievably selfless, like so genuinely um, has one of the toughest jobs I think I've ever heard of um, and gets zero recognition. So that is a high flyer in my books. 
Love it. Fantastic. Now let's zoom out and, and, and talk about your sunrise, Rosie, your, your early childhood, your upbringing, which I understand was in Melbourne. Well, what are your memories looking back? What, what, was your, what were your hobbies? What was the environment like growing up in? My upbringing, um, I grew up um, in Bayside um, down in Sandringham. So it was kind of beachside um, in Melbourne. And I grew up with my mum and my dad and my sister, Lucy. Um, that's, that's sort of how things started, if you like. Um, but I guess, you know, growing up, um, I, I was, you know, one of those classic sort of scenarios of parents separating, um, getting divorced, you know, the family's growing, you know, my, my dad had a new partner who, um, has since to this day become like another mum. My, my family grew in, in terms of step siblings. Um, and I guess for me, um, the, the core relationships that really, I guess are the most influential in my life were really my mum and my sister starting out. I think to describe myself as a kid, let me think. I think I would describe myself as a shit stirrer, if, if that's okay <laughs> for me to me to swear. Um, and, and I think at the time, I think um, definitely had the characteristics of a little kid that um, you know always had ideas, was very very curious, but also really loved to stir the pot. And I don't mean that in a really nasty way. I mean that in a asking tough questions or, um, yeah, just I think bringing audacity to, to conversations with adults or even even just being a little bit bratty and wanting to challenge the status quo. And I think looking back into my time in, say, primary school, um, I can see how my mum really helped channel that in the right direction. I remember coming home from school as, as a really little kid and, you know, telling my mum that I saw something really awful in the playground, like someone bullying someone else or, or racism or just people being left out. And my mum's response was always the same every single time. She'd ask me the question, um, well, what are you going to do about it, basically? Um, and so I feel like I always had this little voice in my head that when I had these, these emotions inside of me that, you know, might feel ang- anger or confusion at seeing things around me that I didn't like or I didn't agree with, that I had this sort of sense of responsibility or really like a sense of empowerment that maybe I could be someone that could do something about it. Now, that's not to say I always <laughs> did something about it. Um, you know, I think we all know what it's like to be to be young people, to be children and, you know, feel like we're getting messages like we need to stand out and, you know, be ourselves and at the same time feeling this like, you know, very powerful sense of, of needing to fit in, um, which is often at odds actually with um, belonging in, in itself. Um, so I guess, yeah, from, from there on, my sister who is, is three years older than me, although we're very very close. People often mistaken us as, as twins, but I'm quick to point out that she's absolutely the older sibling. Um, <laughs> we, you, you do look very similar. Yeah. People often think that. I think um, the interesting thing to point out as well is that we're actually so unbelievably different. I think we share similar mannerisms. We're obviously, um, you know, we've been building this organization together for 15 years and we're often mistaken as sort of yeah, replaceable for, for one another, interchangeable. But growing up, you know, back then even, Luce and I were so unbelievably different. Like I, I can describe us by saying I was a bedroom door open kid and Luce was a bedroom door closed kid. So mm. she's, you know, she's she's incredible. She's this deeply introverted, imaginative, visionary, um, you know, kind little kid even back then. Um, and I've always, I think, been quite um, extroverted and outgoing um, and, and you know, being very, very keen to move very quickly at a very fast pace, moving forward and exploring things. And I think um, 
we were lucky enough to have been born into probably the most synergetic relationship I'll ever experience in my life and that we're so unbelievably complementary that um, it's really no surprise that, you know, we kind of found each other in this professional um, social change capacity. And, yeah, we've been working together really ever since we were kids in many ways. It sounds like you had a, you had a pretty mature understanding of, of your environment at that early age. What, what would you say you did for fun? Like what was young... Rosie doing when she was 10, 12 years old, that was fun. Like what were your hobbies to get away from this world in a way? Did you do stuff that was sort of just to mingle with the other kids? Absolutely. Yeah. I think fun has always been actually a core value of mine, um, Vidit. And I've yeah like to think that I've um, kept that in, in fine focus throughout my whole life. So yeah, I mean, childhood for me was absolutely probably a lot of people, my generation, it was like, you know, hanging out with the other neighbourhood kids, be home before the streetlights, but that was okay because The Simpsons was on at 6pm. Mm. So that was real the real incentive to get home. But, <laughs> you know, I was a sporty kid, you know, every day after school was basically, um, yeah, some sport, whether it be basketball or hockey or, um, you know, life-saving nippers on the weekend. Um, definitely a very outdoorsy kid. Um, yeah, loved being around other kids, loved being around bigger kids, <laughs> which was often the case. Um, you know, I remember forming a um, club with the rest of the kids in the neighbourhood and we we're actually called the Australian Fun Preservation Club. And we used Love to meet it. in my back shed and um, basically just cause neighbourhood shenanigans. So it's kind of like hails back to the sort of sandlot kids, um, little rascals days, I think. And you mentioned earlier about your sister who was older and you touched on the fact that you had different personalities. Do you think looking back that gave you a sense of grounding as well because you could sort of look at her and then she was a bit more laid back and relaxed? Yeah, look, I think um, Luce, Luce has always been a role model for me without a doubt um, ever since that I can, I can remember. Um, and I think, um, you know, what we did have in common was some very powerful things and I'd say they were values um, really probably instilled by our mum. So values like fairness and social justice and kindness, I think were like passed down to us. But I think um, what I think I've been so privileged to get to have role model to me is that, um, you know, introversion and um, kindness and sensitivity, Lucy is so deeply sensitive and so deeply intuitive, have been role model to me as great strengths in the world and not weakness as they're often stereotyped to be. So I think, um, you know, I've, I've had the benefit of growing up in a household and my dad and my um, step family as well have really um, fostered who Luce and I are and we've been encouraged to be more of who we really are as opposed to trying to fit um, in, you know, into into the, the mould that we're often young people are taught to fit into. Yeah, and, and I think the, the other side to that is, did you have any posters on the wall of people you looked up to growing up as kids? I mean, back back in our generation, we had posters on the wall. Now it's a bit bit rare but did you have any that you people you looked up to outside of that family environment yeah I'd you know it was such a different time like pre-social media um I'd actually say um there were definitely like sports people and actually I'm so horrified to recall this on the spot here and I don't even know if your listeners are even going to know who this person is but I actually did make collages of Dean Kane, who was um, Superman. Oh, my goodness. I can't believe I'm even admitting this. But <laughs> you're, you're just taking me back to my childhood. And, um, yeah, it was basically posters of Dean Kane, who was Superman, on my bedroom walls, which did not predict um, my future, I would say, in terms of people that I was attracted to. <laughs> but there you go. <laughs> 
No, I'm, gl- I'm glad you shared that. Thank you for sharing it. <laughs> um, and, and if we fast forward a few years later to when, when you were 16, 17 and you're sort of at the back end of high school and you're fig- figuring out what life looks like, what, what was that phase like in, in reflection? What were your aspirations at that point in life when you're fairly young but you're sort of needing to figure out a path that's next? Yeah, most definitely. I think this is um an area of a time in my life that I still feel closely connected to and it's because of um, the work that I do in schools. I feel I'm really fortunate enough to be connected to myself in this time. I think for a lot of people they can't remember as much. Um, but I think like, yeah, fast forward to sort of high school and I'd say that this is the time in which I really felt those values being tested that I spoke about before. So social justice and fairness and kindness and empathy and and all, all of the ways in which I wanted to be seen in the world and all of the ways in which I wanted my peers to be seen. And that is for who they really are. And high school is at odds with that. Let's, let's be honest. Um, and I think, you know, I spoke about before my mum saying to me, when you see something horrible, what are you going to do about it? Well, high school, I saw loads of things that were really horrible. I saw times when people were treated awfully, you know, like laughed at people, labelled them, judged them um, or, you know, seeing people completely ignored as if they didn't even matter. Um, And I wasn't perfect at school. You know, there were times at school when I know, um, you know, year eight was horrific for me. I was horribly bullied in year eight. Um, But I also, like all humans, I've also done things that I'm not proud of as well. So I know what it's like to be bullied and isolated and alone. And I also know what it's like to go on with it, go along with a group you know, even though I don't agree with what's going on. But I think throughout those times, um, I did have this little voice in my head that's, you know, it's that voice. It's, it's what are you going to do with it, do about it? And sometimes I found the courage to stand up and other times, regrettably, I didn't. And so I think when I finished high school, um, I looked around and I saw that like me, many of my peers were finishing school pretty happy and confident and, you know, basically ready to take on the world or what we thought finishing high school was going to be. But others were finishing as, you know, the empty shell of the awesome kid they were when they started, all because of the way that they were mistreated. And I think for me that was a real turning point um, that that was so unfair and it devastated me, like, you know, and it's so preventable. Um, and that basically, you know, I, I felt like I was looking around and seeing bullying and mistreatment and hate and prejudice just destroy the potential in the lives of, of my peers. And basically that was a sort of turning point for me um, and, and my sister Lucy that we just felt like someone should do something about it. And I think at that point, Vidit, we looked around and saw that no one was tackling, you know, the issue of bullying in a way that really reached young people. And I think now, like 15 years on, it, it blows my mind. I think it's like wild to think that there was a time when there were no anti-bullying programs in schools, um, no anti-bullying policies, weren't, you know, they weren't even mandatory. But but when we started out all those years ago, there really wasn't. And so I think that's where, um, you know, Luce and I, the spark was lit, the vision was was set, and we decided to just give this thing a go. I must say that that point you made around sometimes when you're in that environment and you can see the bullying, but you do nothing about it. I think a lot of us can resonate with that because you're scared of not wanting to be bullied for defending someone else. And then that can be really hard. 
I think we all relate to that as, as adults as well. Like we all know that moment. Like take take a racist conversation, for example. You, you know it's coming. You're in that moment. You're in the group setting. You can feel the conversation being steered in a particular direction. You know, you might palms might get, in, get sweaty. Stomach might start to drop. You know it's coming and you know you've got a choice to make. But it's so hard in the moment. And I think, um, you know, the same is to be said in school settings. And, and arguably it's worse. Arguably the repercussions are bigger. Um, you know, having to go to school with people day in, day out, you know, reputation means everything. The risks feel enormous. And I think as young people, we weren't actually taught credible, cool, social ways that you can actually stand out. Um, stand up. I, I think um, for me back then, like, this is like pre-social media. Um, and I'm sure, in fact, let me ask you, Vinny, what were the strategies that you were given when you saw bullying happen when you were at school? Like, what did teachers tell you to do? Um, there was there was really nothing given, right? I think I mean if I'd be very open, it was there was a view that toughen up and and deal with it. Um, mm. I think that was the general stereotype, and if you didn't fall into that bucket, then there was something wrong with you. Yeah, yeah, that, that victim blaming sort of mentality. For me, for me, I remember it. <laughs> this, this this advice: ignore it, walk away, or tell the teacher. It's like a free tip: ignore it, walk away, or tell the teacher. And the reality is, is that most of the time, none of those things work. In fact, some of the time, those things make it worse. Mm. Yeah, and I, and I noticed, um, Rosie, looking on your LinkedIn, you studied a Bachelor of Criminology at, at Monash. Was that after high school or was that later on that you were curious to I understand that space? No, I, I actually, I, I majored in criminology and classical mythology, which I can say has really helped my pub trivia. There's always <laughs> a Greek, there's always a Greek mythology question. But um, no, I think for me, the other point in the other point, um, the other thing that was going on at that point in my life was finishing high school. And I think why did I start an anti-bullying organization? Well, it wasn't just because I was passionate about tackling the issue of bullying. It felt like no one was doing a good job of it. And we had an idea. It was also because, wow, finishing high school was pretty anticlimactic for me. I felt like, and I think for a lot of young people, I think we're taught that the world begins after school and that you get to go and make your mark on the world. And for me, I thought that might mean, you know, getting to be creative, to create something, to be challenged, to challenge, you know, the status quo and, um, you know, to, to really explore myself and the world. And I didn't feel that that was the case at all. In fact, um, going off to uni for me, as I said, like was really anticlimactic. And so I think... Um, yeah, part of wanting to start a social enterprise, um, part part of wanting to start a business was actually um, getting to do the learning that I didn't feel like I was getting to do at uni. Having said that, I did do an arts degree over the course of seven years um, at Monash. So thank you, Monash, shout out. Um, and they actually called me in my um, seventh year, the beginning of the seventh year, and told me that I actually only had eight years to complete my Bachelor of Arts. So I swiftly told them that I'd be there next semester and and wrapped that up. So I wouldn't say it was the most like, um, you know, influential part of, um, you know, my education at all. I'd say that I learned more, you know, in, in 10 years, for example, of doing Project Rocket than I learned in the seven years at uni and the 13 years of high, at school combined. I think what's really fascinating with that story you shared is I think in today's world, that's a lot more common where people go straight from high school into starting their um, life's work if you want to call it or, or, or something that they're really passionate about but but mm. 15 20 years at 15 20 years ago it wasn't 
Um, what do you think was different about yourself compared to your peers at that point out of year 12 and you're, you're probably 18, 19 and everyone's going to schoolies and everyone's partying and like you said, they're getting a graduate job or joining university and they're just still figuring out life, right? Where it sounds like you sort of had a plan already. Was there anything that you in reflection you think you did differently to your peers that helped you achieve that at that age? Yeah, that's, that's such a good question, Vidit, because as you said, no no one in my life at least was really doing it. And, you know, social media was still basically in diapers, you know, nappies at that stage, mm. like Facebook had just launched. So it's not like we had alternative ways being projected to us that we could look to. In fact, I cannot express to you how much this was going against the grain. Like everybody in my life um, you know, was was going to university, getting traditional jobs. In fact, you know, my, my family um, were wondering what on earth we were doing. In fact, for I think, you know, back then there were no sort of social entrepreneurs. There weren't like glossy marketing campaigns backed by Telstra and, you know, Google. And it wasn't all, there was no change the world mentality. There was no culture, ecosystem around social change like that. So for us, um, it really, I think, demonstrates that we were, doing something that we believed in so much because those first five years or so, there was no recognition. The thing that drove us was the purpose and seeing it work. Do you get what I mean? There was no accolades. There was no awards or there was certainly no financial rewards. You know, we were, we were starting a, t- a small business as, uh, you know, two main barriers. First, as young people, which let me tell you back then, you know, young people leading the way was not a slogan that you would hear often, Mm. um, if at all. Then the next barrier we faced in business was being women. And so I think for us, like just really loving that challenge as well, like finding it enormously difficult at times and extremely personal at times as well, but having each other and just being so fixated on a purpose, so driven by a passion to achieve it, and also getting a real kick out of learning outside of our comfort zones and growing so rapidly and getting to meet other incredible young people in our workshops and basically getting to have all the tough conversations that we didn't get to have when we were at school and then getting to see the change that was created as a result of them was like incredibly addictive. Mm. Now, if we talk about magic moments, Rosie, and I know speaking to you prior to this, there's been a lot of magic moments in your life broadly, including including your work. Are there any that stand out for you that were really good learnings or good experiences or people you've met along the journey that have really um, evolved your thinking that you can look back on? Yeah, I think that the um, one that just stands out to me now is in terms of, yeah, when I just heard you say incredible people that you've met, it's like shaped you. I'd say um, one of the most incredible people that I've met and are fortunate to call a friend and a mentor and who now serves on our advisory board is is Monica Lewinsky, um, who is just such an incredible person, um, absolutely is, you know, the epitome of courage, the epitome of kindness the epitome of strength um, and is a phenomenal anti-bullying activist, essentially. Uh, We first met her um, at Facebook headquarters in California back in 2015. We actually met on Twitter at Facebook, which is a bit like blow your mind meta. But, um, so you mean yeah, you met we, online while you were at Facebook? Yeah, we're, we're actually we're at a physical event at Facebook, but we met on Twitter um, at the event. 
And um, yeah, we we the Lucy um, Monica and I struck up a I guess a conversation and a friendship around the issues that we tackle. Basically, um, she didn't know anything like um, Project Rocket existed in the world. You know, a bunch of young people who were at, at great scale helping other young people develop the empathy and the tools to challenge bullying and to spread kindness. And frankly, um, you know, she calls herself patient zero of cyberbullying and has gone on to build. Um, you know, after a a massive, like, you know, nearly two decade hiatus. Um, she survived that and has gone on to now be a, an incredible advocate and activist. Um, and I guess, yeah, she, the, it all started when she gave us a, a shout out in her um, TED talk, The Price of Shame, which I really encourage everybody out there um, to, to watch. Um, and then, yeah, she came to Australia and we, we caught up and we've caught up a few times in Australia now and she's hosted fireside chats with our team where basically nothing is off limits and has shown just such a deep generosity for the learning of, of all of us and our teams. And yeah, is, is a real dedicated advocate to a lot of um, anti-bullying movements around the world now. And yeah, she is just absolutely um, one of the most incredible people that I've ever met and, and just continue to benefit from her wisdom. Um, also totally recommend you following her on Twitter because she's um, also hilarious as well. She is. Yeah, I have seen her yeah. post. She, she, she has some really good one-liners. <laughs> she's Yeah, she's good. She, she's not afraid to be self-deprecating and to, um, as a result, call out the power um, and the people gripping to that power that need to let it go, basically. Mm, mm, absolutely. And, and, and I imagine there'd be many painful learnings as well, and I intentionally call them painful learnings because they're probably painful in the moment, but maybe look back on them now and you're glad you went through that. Are there any of those that stand out for you in your life broadly that, that you can share with listeners? Um, yeah, look, I mean, many, I'm not sure what we, I'm not sure what we spoke about previously on the call. Um, forgive me, I can't remember, but, uh, you know, off the cuff now, I'd say that, um, some other really significant moments in my life. Um, one moment that comes to mind that's absolutely shaped who I am today and the work that I do is, um, someone very, very close to me, um, suffering, you know, really poor, um, mental ill health. Um, and yeah, being in, in a scenario where the, the strongest person that, you know, um, is completely shattered. The person that you, you know, believe in is, is so shattered and, um, you know, being there for them and feeling completely unprepared has, you know, I think really spurred in me, um, a real desire to help others in the, in those scenarios, as well as obviously helping people, um, improve their mental health and just destigmatize the fact that, Every single person on this planet experiences mental ill health, you know, and yet we still have horrific statistics like in this country, um, you know, suicide is the leading cause of death among young Australians. And we look at preventable issues, that is a preventable issue. Um, so I'd say like, you know, th those moments as well, watching the, watching the people around me um, truly suffer have been, you know, crucial learning moments for me, um, yeah, and continue to be as well. Now, here's a question that I heard the other day, and I think it really applies to your story because you spoke about your school experience and now you're working with with um, communities. If you had to design a school today, what do you think it would look like? Like what would you do different about it compared to the existing schooling system? This is the funnest question. I love it. No one's ever asked me this, and I can't wait to ask my team. <laughs> oh, there are so many things, so many things that I would do. Um, I think I disrupt the whole thing. <laughs> so 
So get ready, um, but I'd probably uh, say goodbye to the curriculum. Um, now, don't freak out, everybody. There are still, you know, ways to hit those learning outcomes with our core subjects like maths and, um, you know, you know, science and English. But um, yeah, I put the hands, I put the learning in the hands of young people. I'd almost flip it and have teachers there as facilitators and students there as the teachers um, and the learners. Um, and yeah, also create an environment where we're not asking young people what do you want to what you know what do you want to do when you're older and instead we're asking the question who do you want to be and we focus on supporting young people to work out their values and their ethics and their identity and their moral compass and their vision and their connection to one another as well as their core skills and their competencies which I also believe um, as a very overachieve high achiever um, obsessed person, which is not my favourite trait. Um, I also believe those those characteristics and are very important in education. But I would I would flip it and get young people to direct the learning, and teachers would be the facilitators. Mm, agree. I think the the only bit like I was going to say is creativity. I think in the schooling system that's sort of taken out of you because you're meant to follow and and do as you're told. Whereas if you can be creative. It's sad, isn't it? Mm. It, It's honestly quite heartbreaking. Even thinking about, um, you know, entrepreneurship is, you know, got to be one of the biggest buzzwords in the last decade. And um, people wear it like it's a badge of honor. I'm still trying to work out what it is. But when you, um, when we think of an entrepreneur, we think of, you know, innovators, creators, um, risk takers, we think of confidence, we think of, people who just put themselves out there, um, people who dare to, to try something new, essentially. And to me, that is childhood. Like if I think about all the little kids running around in my back garden at the Australian Fund Preservation Club, whatever the <laughs> hell that was, I think about kids just trying backflips, even though they have no idea they're going to be able to do it or not. And they're not afraid of failure. They're just going to give it a crack. Sometimes they land them, sometimes they don't. I think of all the kids starting their own little businesses or, um, you know, trying new ideas, building things in the back garden. And I feel like we go to school and sadly it's, um, yeah, where we're, we're, we start as square pegs trying to fit into round holes and they push us through those holes eventually, I guess. And it's really sad to see the loss of creativity. And then after school, this pressure to be all those things without them being fostered. Um, so it's very confusing, I think. If you, if you think of your journey with Project Rocket, but but also generally as an individual on, on planet Earth, what, what have been some of the learnings the last 10 years or so, as you touched on the world's changed a lot, you've been through a lot and you've got a lot of recognition, but what have been some of the learnings at the core that, that you've taken that you're really glad you've, you've absorbed? Oh, that's such a good question. I think um, I've, I've been so fortunate through my job to, to travel the world, I guess, um, and, you know, meet so many different people who uh, share the same values as me in many ways and uh, might be in the same circles as me um, but are fighting different issues. They could be issues like child exploitation or human trafficking. Um, and so many of the people that I've met, so many of them, um, their journeys to where they are at are because of the adversity they've overcome. Um, I look at this incredible woman I know um, in Pakistan who's created a whole movement. She's an ex-lawyer. She's created a whole movement around the digital rights of women 
in Pakistan, which I cannot even begin to express to you the enormous amount of risk um, that involves. And to see um, someone who escaped family violence, um, partner violence as well as family violence, and to now be travelling the world and essentially um, empowering women to uh, reclaim their power and, and find safety, and not just find safety, but um, thrive online and in other communities is just so powerful to me. Um, and I think, yeah, one, one of the learnings there for me is just the incredible power of technology. Um, and that might sound, sound so obvious, but I think a lot of the time we really fixate on the shortcomings of technology. And, and I can tell you right now, as you know, I, as someone who, you know, works with global social media platforms and, you know, uh, advocates for change in, in, in these social media platforms, I know that there are shortcomings. Believe me, I, I deal with the issue of cyberbullying every day, you know. Um, but what I think we miss, we we totally um, misunderstand is our own ability to create change within these platforms is that when we only blame the technology itself, we remove our own ability to um, create influence essentially. Um, and so I think, yeah, that's, that's definitely one of the things that I've seen over and over and over again is people around the world that are reclaiming technology and re-engineering it for good and doing it on such scale in some of the darkest, darkest corners of the country as well, uh, the, uh, the world, I should say. Mm, that probably, uh, I think the thing that I was curious about coming into this conversation today is, is the work that you do, it's very emotional because it's very at a human level and you're trying to empower others and, and we've had a guest on the show who've done that in different fields and, and one of the big points that they've shared is that often it's hard to disconnect yourself from it and, and almost be objective sometimes because you're going back to what is my mission here and what am I trying to solve do you do you find that like how do you deal with that and particularly early on when you you touched on your schooling experience and you had this big passion for wanting to change some of the things you saw how do you separate yourself from it sometimes to go, okay, I need to think of the big picture and how am I going to solve it? And whereas you can be firefighting individual cases sometimes? Yeah, I, I won't lie. I will say that that definitely has been a challenge for me over the years. I think um, I think if you spend five minutes with me, you'll know that, um, that you know, on a, on a good day I'm passionate, but on a bad day I might be emotional. Um, I'd say that it's definitely something that I've worked on o over the years. And I think it's for me, it's about um, probably what I spoke about earlier on about my mum teaching me how to harness um, those those attributes, you know, harness the anger that I might um, feel and use it as a motivator um, to create change. Um, and I'll say like today, um, you know, I, I serve on Facebook's Global Safety Advisory Board um, and to have a seat at that table um, is, is, is powerful. You know, a third of the world are on Facebook essentially. So if we want to be able to, to use a platform as a Petri dish to really push the boundaries and really try and create change online, Facebook could be the way to do it, but it's going to require me um, to really hold Facebook accountable. Uh, and so, yeah, knowing, for example, that serving on that board, I, I need to be able to channel my emotion and channel what I'm seeing and channel uh, my beliefs and my visions into something that is very productive um, and can create influence in a way that, um, you know, won't won't do harm or damage, but will instead um, create change. Um, so, yeah, I'll definitely say over the years, like emotion and anger and, and feelings um, have definitely um, been spurred on um, by things that I see in, in my job, um, but that I've absolutely learned, learned to harness them, I'd say. Mm. And, and there'd be individuals listening to this, Rosie, who'd go, great, I'm so inspired, I want to 
do something similar or do something that's going to also have real impact. Do you do you have any any sort of suggestions from them from your journey, particularly early on? Because I think I always ask guests that early on, how do you start something? Because you can have an idea, but then to actually go out there and do it is is a hard step. And a lot of people sort of fall in that step from having an idea to actually creating it in the world. Are there any things that you'd share with the audience today that if they want to follow in your footsteps that they should do? Are there any courses or any podcasts online or books? Like how can they start something or movement of their own? I love, this is one of my favorite um, questions. So thank you for asking, asking this. <laughs> I think um, my, my, the first thing that I think of for anybody out there that's, that's wanting to start something is this is so simple, but it's actually just to say it out loud. Um, and what I mean by say it out loud is first it's saying it out loud to ourselves. There might be little moments where you have, um, you know, inspiration, some clarity, a little bit of motivation, and then there might be a moment that follows very qu- quickly where the little voices come into your head that say, you can't do that, or why should you be doing, why should you be doing that? Someone else should be doing that. And there, there comes that voice. I think we all know all know that sort of imposter in our head. Um, but I think by sometimes um, saying it out loud and choosing the people in your life to say it out loud too can help you quiet those voices, tip the balance to, to hear from people that do believe in you, not the little voice in your head that is set up to, um, you know, put self-doubt in you. Um, so I think like, yeah, saying it out loud um, and quieting that imposter syndrome is, is one of the first things that you can do. Um, and then I think um, it's about like rallying support around you. So it's, you know, there are so many people out there that want to help you. I think, um, and I, I especially think this is um, young women in our lives as well, that we can be very, very apologetic about taking up space. Um, but actually in order to create change in the world or start something, we're going to have to advocate for ourselves and um, also take up space. And I think I've learned very quickly that when, when I have done that, um, that there is, I've learned that there are so many people out there that really want to help me um, and do offer to help. And I think it's starting small. It's that incremental every day, bit by bit, working on something where the momentum builds, builds the habit forms, you know, the connections start to build, the networks start to grow. But if you keep an idea in your head, and you let perfectionism win or you let, let self-doubt or self-criticism win, then it's a total waste. Um, so that would be my, my idea to sort of just, just get started. Yeah, it reminds me of something I heard the other day was um, fear of other people's opinion. It was F-O-O-P. And I think that goes to what you said earlier about shame. I think that is often a restrictor for a lot of people because they're worried about what their friends will think or their parents will think. But I agree with you, just go out there and try it. Yeah, I, I almost think though our worst critic is ourselves. And, and I will say that, um, yeah, over the years, that's absolutely been my biggest, biggest barrier is, is imposter syndrome, is this little voice in my head um, that is, you know, telling me that I don't deserve it or that everybody's waiting for me to fail. Um, and I think, yeah, over the years, it's actually that voice that I've worried more about than other people's voices. And I will say early on, as I said, with it, that we didn't have people saying yay go you well done we had people going what are they doing like no one understood what we were doing um Mm. and so that's why um you know it it was it was hard because we didn't have people kind of affirming us now though looking around there are so many people that share your beliefs there are so many people that want you to succeed but i think the hardest bit sometimes can be just quieting that little voice, taking a step, putting ourselves out there, out of our comfort zones and letting ourselves really succeed. 
Now, if we talk about your hustle, Rosie, your work in particular, how, how would you describe your role at Project Rocket? Um, what are some of the some of the objectives and, and what are some of your focuses as an individual there? Yeah, for sure. So I've had many roles over the years, as you can imagine, um, at Project Rocket. We started the organization in 2006 when we were fresh out of high school. So there's been many evolutions, but today um, I'm the CEO of, of Enterprise. So at, at Project Rocket, we actually have two CEOs. We have um, my sister and I who are co-CEOs, and we've divided our leadership into two distinct portfolios, if you like, two equally important positions as as CEO of social impact and a CEO of um, social enterprise. So essentially um, my role as as CEO of enterprise is very much around the sort of business side of things. So it's the how we scale into schools. It's creating our strategic partnerships. Um, it's, you know, looking for in- innovative ways to create um, new amazing products that support young people and feature young people. Um, and it's very much sort of looking ahead into the future and really working out ways that we can be really not only sustainable but really grow into uh, basically our goal is to be in every every Aussie school. Um, so that that's my role today. And and are there any things about the about the work you do that might surprise people? I mean, I love asking people like because there's so many things that we think we know about the work you do, but we probably don't. What are some of the unknowns that that surprise people about the work you do? Oh, I guess um, I guess I just say that it's a very very dynamic role. Um, the and and growing up doing this role, I think um, you know I've never actually worked in another organisation. Uh, I don't know what another company's culture is like. So so much of my role is actually getting to just build out, um, you know, a, a culture and a team. Build build out cultures and teams basically that get to um, dismantle what I believe in the world and what our team believes in the world to be holding identities back um, and rebuild it essentially. And that is incredibly exciting, um, you know, to get to actually shape um, an organisation and a business from the inside out. And I think that's that's really what I'm so passionate about um, as as a woman in business is, is actually just really dismantling the structures that hold people back and not looking around to try and replicate existing models because we don't believe that there are many out there that are working and instead disrupting what a cult- culture looks like, um, you know, disrupting hierarchy, um, disrupting growth paths and expectations and, you know, basically recruiting um, amazing people that might not look so amazing on their CV if that was the only thing that we we're looking at. Um, so that's something I think is, is really passionate. I'd also just say that my job is really fun. Um, it's mm. incredibly difficult. Like I won't lie, every two years I'd say since I was 19 and started Project Rocket, every two years has been this cycle where I've had to basically go away, find a new bunch of mentors, learn some new skills, um, create um, basically a pathway to move forward because there isn't one laid out for me um, because I don't know how to do the next two years. I kind of look like a, look a bit like a video game you know, it's like to get to the next level, I have to collect all these different points. Um, and then once I've collected the points, my capacity is built and I can move to the next level. Each level gets way harder, as you can imagine. Um, you know, when you're looking at, you know, million dollar turnovers and multi-million dollar partnerships, you know, and, um, you know, way, way greater impact goals, um, you know, managing teams of really 
passionate and dynamic and young and diverse people and sending them out to schools. And so it's gotten really hard, but I think um, the challenges is getting only getting more exciting. I actually wonder if you could touch on that a bit more, that two-year learning phase you talked about. Like how you talked about mentors. How how do you find these mentors? Like do you have a certain skill set you're looking for every two years that you go on to find people with this experience? Yeah, I'd say that it's not the same skill set each year. It's basically identifying where my gaps are, like knowing where I need to go, knowing where I'm at and just knowing where my gaps are. And I think um, for me, um, forming relationships has always been one of my strengths. And I think um, I I spoke before as one of, you know, my piece of advice if you're wanting to get started is to say it out loud. That's my advice for um, seeking mentors and advisors as well. It's about basically just relationship forming and it's about getting out there and meeting people and and having real you know authentic conversations with people and for me um you know the word mentor I think is 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 a bit of one of those one of those sort of buzzwords as well it's very mystical it's very do you have a mentor tell me about your mentor um you know have you had the um, mentor appointment ceremony where you bow down on one knee and no do you get what I mean it's like um you know, it's, 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 it's scary for a lot of people, but I think, um, mentors, uh, is a mute mentorship is a mutual relationship. I have mentors, um, that are younger than me. I have mentors that are older than me and we mentor each other. Um, so I think like, yeah, it's first and foremost, it's not about what can you do for me and going out there and trying to build these really inauthentic relationships. It's about getting out there and meeting people and forming relationships and, and mutual benefits. Love it, love it. I must say that I think one of the observations I've had over the past probably year or so in this podcast is I think business founders or, or community founders have more coaches than than people that work in a job, which I think would surprise yeah. a lot of people because people think they go into starting a business because they want to do it their way. But often there's more coaches in that space that they lean on for advice and just making sure their head is in the right space. Absolutely. Well, I mean, I'll never forget the time that I first heard the the expression um, building a plane while flying it at the same time, because that's exactly mm. what I've been doing for the last 15 years. Or it's mm. like, you know, um, jumping off a cliff and building the parachute at the same time. And I think like in order to do that, it's all about rallying a team around you. And for me, um, I do have a team internally at Project Rocket, but I also have teams outside of Project Rocket. They're now today, they're other founders. Um, you know, they might be running not-for-profits. They might be running, you know, um, for-profit businesses or social enterprises. They're all at different stages of growth. And they're people that if I'm uncertain of something, I pick up the phone and I call them. Um, and I know that, um, you know, we, we're there for each other, that I'm there to pick up the phone and have the tough conversation with them. Even down to sharing um, policy templates and all sorts of things um, to really help accelerate our growth. I think it comes back down to what I was saying before around like people want to help you. I think sometimes we don't realise that, but it just takes putting our hand up and asking for help for people to do that. And and we've spent a lot of time talking about learning, Rosie. So here's a interesting question. What's one piece of advice that you often give but maybe find hard to follow yourself? Uh, meditate, self-care. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, look, I, yeah, just I get things to be perfectly honest. Um, it would be around, um, yeah, finding habits and rituals to, um, you know, look after, look after myself, I'd say. Um, although I, I would say that I have found them. They're just what work for me. Um, so for me, as as you might gather, I'm a pretty active person. I have a lot of energy. 
I also um, have a chronic illness. I have um, a very rare disease called um, Castleman disease, which basically manifests itself in me with um, extreme fatigue, extreme anemia. Um, and for years I've had medical treatments to manage it, which basically helped me battle exhaustion. Uh, and so for me, as you can imagine, um, that's really at odds with my personality and the expectations that I set for myself. Um, it also means that I really need to manage my energy well, because if I don't, um, I get so, so low um, and not just physically low, but mentally low as well, um, because my energy is so linked to my self-worth, I've learned over the years. Mm. Um, so for me, I need to look for healthy outlets to burn energy as well as preserve energy. I burn it by um, playing sport, basically. I might only be five foot four, but I'm basketball obsessed. I play twice <laughs> a week. I've got a game tonight uh, and I, I play indoor soccer which I'm not good at at all, which is so fun to do things you're not good at. It's I just have a laugh a lot of the time or I get um, a bit angry at myself, a bit frustrated. But, um, yeah, for me that's so important for me to get out there, burn energy, hang out with people that I'd never, ever meet if I didn't play sport with them uh, and, and, yeah, just really sort of deplete myself in a healthy way as opposed to non-healthy ways like partying, for example, is a non-healthy way. Um, preserving my energy though is something that I'm still learning and um, yeah I'd, I'd love to get into mindfulness and meditation and it's just something that I really struggle with but something that I want to work on. Hmm. It's a particularly important topic and we talked about it prior to the recording I think in the, in the lockdown world that we live in here in Australia I think exercise and activeness is probably one of the only ways you can break that negative thinking in your mind so hopefully listeners can take something from that. Mm. Now onto the final sprint, Rosie, some, some rapid fire questions to finish us off. Is there one investment you've made that you consider the best in your life and it doesn't have to be financial? Um, yep, I'd say relationships in my life. Um, I love, love the people in my life. I'm so fortunate. I've been with my um, partner, Stella, for 13 years um, and that was a huge investment. She lived in Perth and I lived in Melbourne and we decided to be together regardless. It's the best thing I've ever done and I've got so many of those stories of other incredible friends in my life as well. Is there one thing you'd like to learn in the next six months? <laughs> Mindfulness? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there... let's go with that. <laughs> yeah, no, very specific. And then I hope six months time you can you can nail it. <laughs> <laughs> Is there one quote or person that inspires you? Ah, let me have a think. One quote or person. Oh, what did um? Oh, I'm so glad I checked that. I would have poorly referenced it. I love the quote by Dalai the Dalai Lama. It's not enough to be compassionate; you must act. Mm hmm. Yep. And, and last one, is there one thing you do each week to get the best out of yourself mentally and physically? Um, set goals at the beginning of the week, set intentions for my week, um, and I do it on a Sunday so that when I um, hit the ground running on Monday, I'm focused and I'm feeling motivated and clear. Awesome. Well, that's the finish line, Rosie. Thank you so much for coming on. You've got, I love it, your energy, you're, you're super inspiring and, and wish you all the best for everything you're doing. Thank you so much for having me. I hope you took away some actionable insights and learnings from this conversation to apply to your lives and be 1% better every day. And I look forward to sharing the next episode with you next Tuesday. Stay tuned.